0: This is the Bags and Plat Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Bags and Plat Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August nineteenth, and as my wife will say, summer is officially over. Bags,
2: that's unbelievable. It usually ends July fourth, but this time we got a little extension with the COVID. But she's dead on, man. It's about going back to school if we're even going back. But it's uh, yeah, it's pretty much over. 66
1: degrees this morning. It's a little chilly for me this time of year. I'd like that a month or so from now. So I'm not ready for this yet. No, it was raining too and it was 65. So it felt like, you know, October. <sighs> We're going to complain about this for the next few months. I know it. How are Absolutely. you doing, buddy?
2: Everything good with you? Everything's pretty good. Looking forward to another great show, man.
1: Yeah, we got a great one coming up today. We have a guest, Dan Clark, who's going to join us later, talk about Major League Baseball chaos and Some personal chaos that he's had in his life, he was the guy who picked or said that Manny Machado was definitely coming to the New York Yankees a few years back. He had it on authority from a good friend of Machado's. That obviously didn't happen, and probably thankfully so. And now he's taking on a lot of heat from Astros fans who apparently are sending his family and friends death threats because he is bashing them for cheating all over Twitter. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, But first, you know, Bags, you and I, we text all the time. We're talking on weekends, and I'm always baffled as to like your updates on the fact that like there's a Spanish league soccer game on at 715. And I finally figured out that your man cave is like of epic proportions. You have like 16 TVs in the basement. What like what? like Paint the picture
2: as to what your man cave looks like. Well, let's start from the beginning. Um, it started in college where I felt like we had to have multiple televisions because we were on campus. We were always trying to watch more than one game. Okay, And there was wagering going on. So if you think back, this probably started with me to have multiple sets in the early 90s. And by the way, we bought our TVs from pawn shops in the South, which was a whole great experience that I'll never forget. It was a little little scary too. So you always wanted multiple screens. So in the basement now, my man cave... Um, It actually started at the condo too, the infamous condo. We had multiple screens because we had fantasy going on and one person wanted to watch another thing. So it's almost like you're saving uh, a trip and money to go to a sports bar and you're home. So it's perfect. Uh, The wife likes it. The kids like it. You're always uh, home watching on different multiple screens and you're in heaven because you can see everything live as it's happening. Um, but there's a new addition to the, uh, to the man cave. And I'm going to get into that now. And it's called the Rover. Now I took a picture for you, Platt, the other day, and I'll go back in time since we went to elementary school together. And there was, and there was never a better time when we were in school is when the teacher brought in a TV on wheels. You remember that? Absolutely. Especially when you had a substitute. Oh, yeah. Or Mike O'Brien teaching history. and Didn't want to go into the, uh, <laughs> into the book. So a couple years ago, my cousin Brian, he had a pool in the back and he's got a fire pit and we're always outside. And next thing you know, he brings out a rover, which is it's like two poles and a platform, with four wheels of flat screen. And you can just roll it around your backyard. And by the way, this roller is now in my living room. And one of my other cousins has his in his dining room. And I'm going to do the sell for your wife right now. The Rover is not just for crazy sports fans like ourselves. It's kid related. And I'm going to get into that now. So not only can your kids enjoy the Rover, it's for barbecues. When everyone's eating outside, you don't want everyone to come inside and mess up Ina's kitchen, right? Uh, how about your pool? Everyone's wet, soaking wet. They want to go inside, get the nice hardwood floors all wet. No, nope, they can stay outside, watch the game on the rover. And this is, and this is this the kicker. into an infomercial. This is another kicker. I'm giving them big plugs today. When you can have a sleepover outside with sleeping bags and tents, And you have the Rover and an an outdoor drive-in movie theater in your backyard. What's better than that now in COVID time to have this Rover? Yeah, I'm dropping my kids off at your house next weekend. (laughs) That's a hell of a setup, buddy. Exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it. And by the way, my beautiful, nice wife got this for me for Father's Day. So it wasn't a hard sell that my cousin Brian had one. And this is a great story. The Rover's so popular in the living room right now that I came home last week and four kids were on my couch, the regular TV was off, the Rover was on, and they're playing video games on it. So I said, what's going on in here? And all of a sudden my living room, which is the upstairs man cave, was getting taken over by the kids because usually the kids are downstairs playing Fortnite in the man cave. So I had to improvise and make the living room the new man cave, and they migrated upstairs and started to take that over. So it sounds interesting. I'm hoping I'm doing it justice, but there's just something about saying, hey, why don't you wheel out the TV? And last week, Platt, the rover made it down to Long Beach Island. I love it. So not only is the rover a little nomad around the house – you take this baby on vacation and i'm going to tell you right now it's 75 bucks tvs these days as you know a 55 60 inch screen you can get for 400 okay they're giving them away so it's not like it's a real big investment the rover's cheap and to put it together i had my older son do it in under 30 minutes so it's uh it's it, it works out for the whole family plot, not just uh Us psycho sports guys.
1: See, this only works because you married an Italian woman. So I did (laughs) you did too. (laughs) And 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 what you have is is what I am gunning for and hoping for in the near future as my little ones grow. So love the fact that you gave us the breakdown of what the rover is, your man cave, your setup. Let's talk a little sports. The Yankees come off sweeping the pitiful Boston Red Sox, which by the way, it's actually sad to watch how bad that rivalry is right now. And now you got the Rays in town. The Rays take the first game. The Rays aren't going away, are they? Not
2: only are they not going away, they have our number. They've won four out of five. They play good baseball, too. They play good defense. They hit some. They hit singles. They're not just about the long ball like we are. And I'm worried about a team that doesn't play like us because there's a lot more rhythm to the game when you got to – uh, a, a lineup one through nine. Now, listen, our lineup's better. We're, we're the best team in baseball, in my opinion. When healthy. But yes, when healthy. But you know, a guy like Snell goes out last night. I mean, he's he he's a stud. And I don't want to meet them in a series. And I actually feel bad that they play in in a town where we actually spend a th- like three months down there in spring training. They get no fans on top of that. Can you imagine if they were in um, a different market? I know you can't just jump to a big city when you're in Tampa, but they actually don't get enough respect, number one. Number two, they don't get enough respect from their fan base. Who doesn't come out and watch them? I actually feel a little bit bad for Tampa, but getting back to your point, that's the team that has replaced Boston and has has our number at the moment, and we've had problems within the past, and I'm not sure I'm afraid of anybody else in the American League, but I'm afraid of Tampa in a, in a playoff series.
1: And you know what? Tampa actually believes in themselves, and they believe that they are the Yankees' rival. So I think the Yankees need to shift mindsets and put the Red Sox in their rearview mirror for the near future. And really start worrying about the Rays because the Rays believe that they can be the Yankees. They, they are beating the Yankees and they honestly think they are the better team. So it's going to be interesting to watch. One of the things I want to talk about, Tanaka lost last night, didn't look great. And I heard an interesting story during the game. Cohen was talking about how Tanaka's got an extra piece on his glove. So you grew up, you were a baseball player. You probably could have played at Clemson. Your dad was a great baseball player. Your brother played at Seton Hall. I'm done plugging your family here. But you know, when someone holds a glove on their left hand, normally either their index finger or middle finger is out of the glove. And apparently Tanaka used to pitch with the, with the opening there and was tipping his pitches. So they put this piece over the end, which I guess he got from Joe Nathan, who the Yankees used to light up when he was on the Twins. But apparently, he was, pitch- he was tipping his pitches that poorly that they had to implement this. So you grew up playing baseball. Were you a- ever able to see a
2: guy tipping his pitches that blatantly? You know what? Sometimes when they moved it in the glove, but it's, but it's like a slight movement. But yeah, sometimes. But at at their level, they've played, you know, in college and and the minors and the pros. I think they were. I think they're looking for that too. So even if you're not tipping, I think people are looking for it. So then, if you are tipping, people are looking at it from the dugout. Scouts, it's in the scouting report if he is. So I've never heard of another uh, piece getting built onto the glove, which is actually the right move. If if he can't figure it out himself. Now they got the trainer uh, blocking on the glove. I've never heard of that, but that's very interesting. What he does is he has some moments during the regular season. He just doesn't look himself. He doesn't locate. The splitter doesn't go down as good. I feel like Tanaka is almost like an El Duque without El Duque's resume. He is really good in the big game. So I know people made a, uh, a little bit of a, a big stink about his bad start last night. It wasn't the worst start. There was a four-run inning, and guess what? It's we're in a COVID league. It's Tampa. We're going to the playoffs no matter what. I'm o- I'm okay with giving him a pass last night. Uh, he's usually on you know he's usually on point, so I'm not going to really get too down on Tanaka. But that's something to worry about since the Rays obviously have his number. Yeah, well, I, you, you hit it right on the head. There's regular season
1: Tanaka and there's playoff Tanaka. And there's a reason why when he has an outstanding game in the regular season, they say playoff Tanaka has showed up tonight. So we're going to shift gears because we're going to talk baseball with Dan Clark in a little bit. NBA playoffs started. I've been watching some of the games and I have to tell you, for me, it legitimately looks like a brand new season. Like they stopped the season when they did and they restarted it a few months later and I'm happy they did it. But it looks like a new season. I mean, when have you ever seen the number one seed, the Lakers and the Bucks, They both both lose their first game. And are either of these teams in trouble bags or are people overreacting? It's one game and it's COVID and there's no home court. Or is this a bigger deal?
2: Yeah. For, uh, well, I'm not sold on the Lakers yet. I mean, I'm sure they're going to step it up. But getting back to what you said about the, the, the season, I'm going to compare it to the hockey season. They're coming out and they're playing hard. And I and and I I feel like it's a faster game uh in hockey and NBA. And I'm impressed. I mean, that you know, the Nets are doing whatever they can. I think me and you might get a call if somebody gets hurt, but it the, the, the Nets are in a really bad spot. Um, I watched some of their game. You know, you're playing Toronto, they just won the whole thing. It's tough for them to even be in as a as a New York team, and it's tough for them without Irving and Durant, but I like, the, I like from what I saw, I want to get into it a little bit more because I haven't watched enough. I just don't think people are going to be watching and, and, until these early teams are, are weeded out. Yeah, I, I I think you're right on that, and I think that
1: if you're a Nets fan, I mean the future if they come back healthy is bright. Because the one thing I will say, I've watched Milwaukee play this year, and I've watched Toronto play, and obviously Toronto traded and lost or lost Kawhi Leonard. Neither of those teams are phenomenal teams. They don't scare you. Toronto Toronto plays good fundamental basketball. Obviously, Milwaukee's got the Greek Freak, and they got a good lineup around him, but. If I'm the Nets next year, I'm drooling over what I'm seeing right now. Like they have a chance to, I'm not going to say easily, but go to the finals if they are healthy and they play some good basketball because they're going to have some depth and then they're going to get Durant. And who knows, Kyrie Irving to me is one of the most unique guys. But speaking of guards, Damian Lillard, talk about a guy playing some serious ball right now. He I was looks just like be-
2: the best player in the NBA. I was just going to bring him up because I almost treat him like the hot hockey goalie in the net during the playoffs. Now, we've seen in hockey the eighth, eighth seed win win the whole thing, okay? I got to compare it, the NBA for once. First of all, there's no home advantage or home ice. But in the NBA, sometimes, you know, the hot guard could c- can take the team a pretty far way. Now, I'm not saying Portland's going to win it, but you got a guy playing insane ball and – like I said, ride the hot wave here.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. And we'll see if the Knicks can somehow miraculously pull off the number one pick in the draft when <laughs> the uh, when lottery. I think it's tonight or tomorrow night, but that would be pretty cool if that ended up happening. But I get we'll wait and see on that. In terms of NHL, the playoffs are running. Things are going well. I personally yes. love this setup because this is like watching. I've said this, I think, the past few weeks. This is like an NCAA tourney. Hockey's on all day. It's phenomenal to watch. It starts at 10 a.m. It's on at noon. The Islanders are surprising everybody. Did they take their foot off the gas and did they give the Capitals a glimmer of hope with a loss last night?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how they went up to nothing and just ended up losing three two. That, that, that. That's concerning, especially with Ovechkin and especially, you know, the Capitals. They, they've been there. They know how to win it and they know how to win the whole thing. The last thing you wanted to do was give them a little glimpse of hope last night. And that's exactly what they did. But I will say, all the games you mentioned, like being an NCAA tournament, the effort is there. And I feel like the game is faster. I don't know why. I just feel like they're going up and down real hard. They're hitting. And I don't think the crowd is even coming into play. I mean, yeah, for a fan, you might like see a big hit and want to, you know want the blue shirts to use the garden to their advantage, especially on killing a power play. But I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with the effort. Obviously, I mentioned last week, I'm impressed with the commissioner. There hasn't been a uh, any COVID issues like there are in baseball. I think they're doing the best they can. And once again, props to the NHL.
1: Agreed. So we've got our caller on the line now. We want to welcome Dan Clark to the bags and plat podcast we love having you on here we can't wait for our listeners to hear a little bit about you especially your accent because they're going to be a little floored i think that you're an aussie who is a huge (laughs) baseball fan so welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me on guys
1: uh really looking forward to having a chat about baseball with you guys so i guess tell us how did you become an orioles fan
0: yeah, it's an interesting question I get quite often because it is quite obscure. Uh, obviously baseball is reasonably big and continuing to grow in Australia. Um, but back when I started following baseball, it, it wasn't very big at all. Um, you know, we didn't have MLB at bat and things like that. It was a lot harder to watch games. I think the only game you could really watch each week was, um, was probably, a Yankees game or a Dodgers game or something like that. So predominantly um, most people in Australia weren't even aware of who the Baltimore Orioles were. Um, but I ended up starting playing baseball uh, quite a while ago now, probably 12, 15 years ago. And the first team I played for were the Blackburn Orioles. Um, that was our team name and the club had an agreement with the Baltimore Orioles to use all the um, branding and. Our uniforms were identical, and I guess that naturally swayed my decision from not only following baseball, but having a bit more of a closer interest in one team. And um, Australians love an underdog story, and I guess there's no greater underdog than the Orioles in the Patch AL East against the Yankees and and the might of the Red Sox and things like that. So. Naturally, I really like that underdog story and have watched them go through some, obviously mostly lows, but certainly some highs in that mid-2010 period where there's a few playoff runs and yeah, the passion just
2: grew from there. That sounds good, Dan. Good to have you on. This is Bags. I want to go into Australia for a second, give your your country a lot Mm. of props. For NBC Sports, we worked at 2000 uh, Olympic Games, my first experience in Sydney. And honestly, everyone couldn't be more nice over there. And they're passionate about sports and their own country. Mm. Uh, It was a really great experience. I'm not sure where you came from, but were you at those games? And did you have any experience with the Olympics back then?
0: No, I didn't um, specifically for those games. I was a bit too young, um, and I'm I'm from in Melbourne. But, okay, which isn't actually too far away. It's kind of well, like, how about the uh,
2: Tennis uh, Open?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean we go to the tennis every year. Uh, we we love it, and and to be honest, I'm not a huge tennis fan. Probably prefer tennis sports more. Um, but it's just a great day out in the sun, and uh, we have. There's three, I think it is, maybe four main arenas there now, and a whole Ebor Show course. It's just good to walk around, and there's a lot of bars and restaurants and things, pop-up restaurants set up. So it's a really nice day, and I think a lot of people going through. We have a Grand Prix in Melbourne as well, Um so for me long Grand Prix. So there's just quite a lot of sport which happens in this city, and and you're right, we Australians love our sport, and they'd love baseball a lot more had it not been, I guess, indirect competition with cricket. Which you may or may not have heard of, but it's our sure. national sport, which is all yep. played in the summer. Yeah.
2: And I, I also wanted to get back to baseball and bring up, since you're such an Orioles fan. Do you Hmm. think the the last time they were relevant? I feel like the Jeffrey Mayer catch when Richie Garcia called it a home run. I feel like since (laughs) then they they really haven't been the franchise that they were growing growing up. And in the sixties and seventies, they were probably uh, the model franchise with Earl Weaver at the helm and having a few twenty game winners on one staff. What would you say about the status of the franchise? And if so, or do you believe maybe after that? Jeffrey Mayer thing. They've kind of never really got back to uh, the baseball they want in that town, and the fans are definitely not responding by attending either.
0: Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. Certainly, there's those you know, 14 years in a row um, of, of losing seasons, and, and you know, I guess people in Baltimore are not real fans, and a the dark days for obvious reasons. Um, but then there was a little bit of hope, as you mentioned, in those, you know, I think it was 2012, they snagged a wild card, won 93 games, it was a good year. And 2014 was the year. 2014 they had a fantastic roster. Um, they had, you know, had Davis, you know, just mashing, you had, um, Cruz, you had Machado, you had Jones, you know, Weeders were sitting well, Hardy. These guys were the best players I've you know, seen over the last ten to fifteen years of the Orioles, and they're right in the mix. They um they obviously fell short against the Royals, um, but I think that was the chance they had. Yeah, they they still thereabouts in fifteen and sixteen. Um, 2016 sixteen, they had that wild card disaster with Voldo and Manners <coughs> on the mound, and um, again they're thereabouts. But I don't think they are ever really challenging on that one season. Um, and obviously since then it's been a bit of a disaster. And I think they're paying the price for, um, to, I won't go into too much detail, but probably interesting decisions, I think, from, uh, ownership, Peter Angelos and, and his family. And I think, uh, I like that they made the decision about, um, two years ago now to just take that step and say, look, you know, we're selling what we have and we're starting from scratch with the rebuild. Uh, it gives us a bit of hope. I think they've done a good job getting um, Michael Elias in and I like Brendan Hyde as, as the manager. I think he's doing a good job with the really young and inexperienced and largely unheard of players. Um, they've been plucky this year. They've, you know, they're 12 and 12 after today's loss. Um, they, they have some real talent in that lineup, uh, but pitching woeful. Absolutely local from the rotation all the way through to the pen. They might, might have maybe Cobbs looking all right. They've probably got one reliable starter and maybe Gibbons and Castro in the pen. Those two guys who, who are looking semi-decent, but they've got a long way ahead of them. They've got an improving farm, but I wouldn't say it's a great farm. So, yeah, I don't think they'll be challenging seriously again for at least another three to five years.
1: So you watch a lot of baseball what were your thoughts on all of what I'll call nonsense about Tatis the other night with swinging on 3 0, hitting a grand slam, yeah. and pissing off the quote unquote hierarchy of baseball of how things used to be? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm,
0: I'm, we haven't even chatted about this, but I had this down as a note something to discuss as well. So I'm glad you we're know, wanting to talk about it. I think it's ridiculous, firstly. Um, and boomers being boomers largely. And I don't want to you know, put them all into one group, but that's largely who I'm seeing the uproar from. Um, I don't like the support or maybe the lack of support he's had from his manager um, about it. Uh, I think he might have thrown him under the bus a little bit with some of his comments um, in the press conference after the game. But there's a few things to play here. One, if you don't want to go swinging in the 3-0 pitch, don't put him in a position where he is on a three oh count. Um, you've brought that on yourself. Uh, also, you know, people a 3 three O on a you know, very one sided game and bases are loaded, again, that's not his problem. You know, you've put you as a pitching staff have put him in that position uh, where he's got the bases loaded and he's winning and he ten to three or whatever it was. So there's a lot of things that could have been prevented before him swing um, at that three-zero pitch, I guess you could say. So I don't like criticism or any criticism being labelled on a guy who then the it's his job. And if you get an opportunity in your job, regardless of whatever it may be, you're going to take it. And if that happens to be on a three-zero pitch, the space is loaded, so be it.
2: Well, here's how I'll interject. And I can argue both sides, and I like what you said. <clears throat> I'm, me and Platt are old school guys. And if you bring up other sports, you know, when you're up about 28 points in the fourth quarter, the quarterback stops throwing. When you're up the way they were up the other day, I think it was 7-2 or, or, or 8-2, uh, on a 3-0 pitch, okay? Okay. You take the pitch no matter what without even the sign coming into play. And that's what Keith Hernandez said last night. Cool. And what I caught when I watched the replay, when he hit the ball, Machado made uh, an expression like, oh, shit. Because he knew as a as a veteran baseball player what Tatis Rude. just did. Now, that's his own teammate going, oh, What did he just do? Because guess what Machado knew at that moment? That Tatis put his team in harm because when Machado got up, Machado knew that he was going to get thrown out and bringing up another Machado expression. When the ball went behind him, he nodded his head and took it like a man. So although I can argue both sides, that is something that there isn't a rule written down, but – it doesn't really have to be written. It's a 3-0 pitch. Mm. Just take it. And on the other hand, uh, to argue the other side a little bit, this guy really doesn't – these guys don't know about the unwritten rules like the era did in the 80s and 90s and 70s. Yeah, exactly. They, like, they do, like, Dan, they're not up to up to speed on a lot of the old traditions. Um, and a lot of guys don't throw at guys anymore. So – Mm-hmm. I actually think him going up there and trying to hit a grand slam is like, what are you going to, like you said, what are you going to ask him to stop working? He, uh, People, mm-hmm. uh, and although there's not fans in the seats, you think a kid would, 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 would have just loved to have seen that grand slam and remember it the most of his life. He was with, with his dad at the game. So I gave you both points, but I just think maybe, um, you know, the veteran guys on the team will talk to him like Hosmer did, and give them a little lesson, and then maybe a yeah. lot of players players can learn from this.
0: Yeah, you're right. I guess that's the other side of the argument. I certainly probably would favor you know jump on the East junior side um, more so, but I remember as well baseball's changing, and exactly like baseball's changed. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot. These young guys coming through today, you know, it's so exciting. Um, they're all about entertainment, and baseball is, um, you know, certainly see this from an Orioles perspective, and probably partly, obviously, due to their lack of success. But there's a lot of teams which are really struggling with fan engagement, and people want something entertaining. And Patrice Junior is one of the best young hitters in baseball, if not the best. Um, certainly at the moment he's the hottest should be, and, MVP. you know, yeah, at this rate, he's certainly, you know, in, in the shortened season, wherever the quarter of the way through sure. the third of the way through nearly, um, yeah, I think he, he brings entertainment and I, I'm fine with that.
1: So speaking of the younger players in the league, Tatis is obviously right up there and an MVP candidate mm-hmm. this year. Who are your other favorite players to watch right now across major league baseball?
0: Well, one of the ones, uh, well, obviously, he can aim some out. Um, we just, we've just finished a three-game series with the Jays and you look at Shetty and Guerrero Jr. and things like that and the they're fantastic and they're going to be a real fourth in the AL, um, the AL East for the for foreseeable future. I think that um, one Soto is the one that uh, I've loved watching over the last 18 months or so. Um, what he's achieving with the Nationals is, sensational, and I uh, did some stuff. It was, it was a while ago now. Um, last postseason, um, we doing some comparative figures between him and Trout, and obviously, no one's up to Trout's level. And um, if Soto ever got there, he would be one hell of a player. But more so from what they'd achieved by the age of twenty-one, and people forget Soto is only twenty-one years old, and his numbers are phenomenal, and. If he keeps going at that trajectory, he will, you know, and rightly so, his numbers will be up there in comparison with some of the greatest ever.
2: Yeah, I like the young shortstop too for uh, the Nationals just came up. Uh, I think he's emulating his game after Soto. I think they're going to be in better shape than people thought after not having Lindor. Uh, I look out west, Dan, and obviously the Dodgers and the Rockies are hot and Padres is just a, mm. great sto- is a great story. Do you see anybody from the East besides the Yankees trying to make a run this year?
0: Um, well, Tampa Bay Rays. I love what they do. Yeah, they're never huge spenders, but they're smart. They're a smart baseball organization. They're a smart baseball team. They're well managed, and they're again having another nice year. They're, not, they're not, uh, fifteen and nine. <coughs> Um, I think they've won nine out of the last 10 last summer, look. So the Rays will be there about, and um, I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit soon, um, around the Astros situation. Um, but look, they'll be there about as well. They're, they're getting hot. They've won their last seat. Um, Oakland had that really good streak, I think it was about nine in a row as well. So you've got those teams competing in the AL West. Um, the Twins, them good Goodyear, the Indians, there's some talent in the American League. and what, Do I think any of them will challenge the Yankees? Probably not. Um, I think the Yankees will probably progress through from the American League and probably, I think, face the Dodgers um, in the World Series. But then again, the Yankees have had some injury concerns. Um, Judge and, and Stanton have, have missed some games and they've definitely got some rotation worries, I think, with. With Hatton and, and Paxton, even Naka earlier this week had some inconsistent outings. So you never know. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy season and, and I wouldn't put, you know, again, if someone had to said to me you know, four days ago that Orioles would be, you know, I think if um, baseball reference had him at a 60% chance of making the playoffs, you know, a third of the way through the season, i would tell you, you're dreaming. But
1: anything could happen this year. So Dan, you brought up, we've talked about one player that I want to ask you about and a team that I want to ask you about, and they're they're separate items, but you obviously have a huge Twitter following. You've taken a lot of heat first on the Machado issue, if you're okay to talk about it a few years ago, where you were adamant about the fact that he was going to sign with the Yankees as a Yankee fan, it probably yep. worked out better that he didn't. Uh, but how, mm-hmm. how how did all that play out? I guess that's the first question. And the second question is, with the Astros situation, you know, you've been on top of them as we have about cheating and that they never got penalized in the correct way for it. And Joe Kelly gets suspended, but none of the players on the Astros do you're apparently from what I'm reading, mm-hmm. you're get, your family and friends are getting death threats from Astro friends. Like it's absurd. So I know it's a two part question, but I'd love to hear from you on both of them. Good job on the
2: Stros, Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, look, with the, uh, with Machado,
0: um, obviously over the years, um, just through various articles of have written and things like that. You, um, young younger players, I'd have um, phone conversations with um, all the way from Australia to Baltimore, certainly where the minor league players were located, um, and obviously come in contact with quite a few guys who had played with Machado um, over those you know, years he was in Baltimore and in the minor leagues there, and yeah. I, it was I think it would have been November or December. Um, it was late that year. Yeah, industry agent winter that I got a message um, randomly from former teammate of his. He said I guess we're going to Yankees, etc., etc., cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think it quoted the rough figures that they were being discussed at the time. And yeah, you know, I went with that, and certainly had no regrets. And I don't think. Uh, that player was inaccurate. Uh, I think, you know, I know for a fact that he was still in contact with Machado quite frequently at the time. Um and and such I trusted him on that. And I still don't think he was incorrect. I think the padre swooped in late and um upstage the Yankees and it was all that, that, that dollar figure. And it was you know considerably higher. Uh but so I think that's where it all changed. and um, like anyone I think you Go your gut on these things, and yeah, double down and triple down and quadruple down and all that, as you saw, and yeah, it didn't happen. And
1: life goes on. And the Astros—they are, are just berating you. Are, are you are you are you feeling better about the entire situation right now? Because it seems like they're spewing a lot of hate towards you.
0: Uh Yeah, it's been it fun. I was actually tweeting some stuff yesterday about the Astros and. Um, you know how they've won. You know they're on this winning streak, and how they've had four out of their top nine hitters uh, all hitting well below two hundred, and they've had some injury concerns as well with their pitching staff. And yet they're still right in playoff mix. Um, I sent a tweet out to her about that, and <laughs> my inbox flew up again um, from Astro Sam saying, "Hey, who's who, who stole Dan's account?" and things like that. So. Um, it's usually just a bit of fun. There was obviously the, the one incident where it went too far, and um, yeah, that was really well dealt with um, by the relevant uh authorities. So that was good. And um, I'm more, more than happy to have a bit of banter with anyone from any fan base, but yeah, the Astros certainly, in my <laughs> opinion, deserve a little bit of um, bit of hate because let's face it, the, you know, I don't want to. Reference COVID, but the, the Astros are lucky COVID happened this year in the sense of, uh, purely in the sense of the fans not being in the stadium because they would have copped it bad. Um, and I think they're I think by the time the 21 season and let's hope COVID um, is a distant memory, you know, hopefully vaccine and so forth has been found by then. And hopefully fans can be back at baseball and I think the Astros will then cop a little bit of heat, but not as much as they would have copped it this year. So I'm not surprised they're
2: coughing in a i on fine. Yeah, I agree with that. They were even getting hit in spring training. Dan, wanted to move to the NFL yeah. real quick. Um, I, I As I said before to, before to Platt, the NHL and the NBA doing really good jobs with the COVID thing. And the NFL is yeah. ob- ob- obviously a, a train with no breaks, $20 billion industry. Uh, it's getting close. They're in camp. Yeah. Um, how do you see the season playing out? I know our stadium with the Jets and Giants here. Is going to be empty. Uh, we were the first to declare that here, uh, our governor. Uh, how do you see the NFL season uh, playing out right now? Right now, look, for, to me, it looks on track. I wanted to get your input on that.
0: It's interesting. And it looks be me, I haven't been following it probably as close as you guys have. Obviously, focusing mostly on you know, baseball now. But um, I, I find the whole COVID situation fascinating to look at um, from afar. Um, in Australia, it's been handled incredibly differently and saying there's right and wrong, um, and I certainly don't want to go into the politics of it, but um, we're in the middle of a, you know, let's say a once-in-a-century, you know, the last significant pandemic like this was over 100 years, just over 100 years ago. And for me, um, having fans at sports sporting events is just not, in my opinion, not essential. Um, if, I actually think baseball should have gone with a bubble approach or a hub approach, whatever term you want to use, like NHL has done. And I think that's, and, and the NBA, of course. And I think with the few scares that you saw in the baseball, um, certainly initially with the Marlins and then Cardinals after that, which is a bit more significant, I think that highlighted Um, why that should have occurred and seeing what NFL has planned. Um, and even, you know, teams coming out and saying that they're expecting to have fans at some point throughout the year. Um, if not from the start, I find that fascinating. Um, it's, you know, I don't see it as being crucial to having the sport continue. And I think it's putting the health of a lot of people at risk. So yeah,
1: it's definitely something that survives the team but that's definitely where I stand on it. Well, we appreciate the time, Dan. Thanks so much for joining the show. We appreciate the input on the baseball front. We hope your Orioles make the playoffs. That would actually, actually and obviously be a really <laughs> nice story. Um, and maybe your Capitals yeah. can somehow squeeze out a game or two against the Islanders here. But we're New York guys, so we're pulling for the local team. But we really appreciate you joining the show and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again soon.
0: Yeah, no worries, guys. I'm looking forward to um, listening to future episodes of yours and, um, yeah, hoping you guys can keep growing because you got some really good content. Thank you.
1: Thanks, I appreciate Dan. that. Thanks, Dan. No worries. See you, guys. So, Bags, quickly, talk to me a little bit about Joe Judge taking heat for making players run laps
2: when they do something wrong. I think that's ridiculous pretty much because – they didn't really have the off-season that they should have had. Uh, these guys get hurt more than any other sport. Okay? Uh, we've seen guys actually die in training camp, Platt. I remember a lineman for the Vikings passed out. He might have been from Ohio State. He died on, on, on the, in camp. I mean, get, you know, get a grip. These guys ran in middle school and in high school. When they made a mistake, they didn't have film rooms like they do in these in, in these facilities. Do you really have to make them run in, in the August heat? Granted, today was sixty five. You know that's it's trust me, it's not sixty five in the whole country. It is hot as you know what out there. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's uh, these guys I think are getting the dog paid. thinks it's ridiculous too. By the way, these guys are getting paid. Yeah.
1: Big bucks. And, and it's interesting. So, you know, I, I know you haven't seen it yet, but I watched hard knocks the other night and getting an inside look as to the shift and what the guy, what these guys have to handle in terms of training camp and practicing and social distancing. And, and it was actually pretty funny, like they, not funny, but they were doing COVID tests at Rams and chargers Facilities and these guys, you've never seen two more guys scared of a Q tip going in their nostril. Like they were all pulling away, they're freaking out, then they're getting shots and they're all kicking and screaming about the size of the needle. Like you really got to check it out. It was pretty funny to watch, but Aaron uh, Donald, man, he is the biggest dude I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. But what do you got to watch Hard Knocks? It was, it was, you know,
2: not plugging HBO right now, but it was really good. I can't wait. And just getting back to Judge real quick. Not everybody, and I'm going to give you a great example, comes from certain trees, like the Parcells trees. You got Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell, who couldn't coach, out, who couldn't be a head coach, might have messed up a bake sale if you gave him the opportunity. You know, Eric Mangini was uh, this touted coach coming from the Belichick tree. He will not get another chance to head coach because of what he did and what he brought to that Jet organization, okay? People didn't really want to play for him, okay? This reminds me of that because if you're going to treat these professional athletes that are making millions of dollars who you need on the field and make them run uh, like Louisianas or suicides or, or – you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous.
1: But, but and do you think I, because he's – he's a rookie coach that he's getting so much heat. Like if Belichick did this, people wouldn't bat an eye. They'd say it's part of his games. Wouldn't be in the paper. So I think that, you know, he's in New York. So obviously he's under the media scrutiny. And second of all, he's a rookie coach right now. So everything he does is going to be guessed. And you obviously have a right to feel that way. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but at the same time, you're right. These guys have been running laps and suicides and whatever you want to call it since they were in, in middle school. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I think the press doesn't have anything to talk about right now when it comes to, you know, uh, that's a great. That's a,
2: that's a great point, actually. This shouldn't even be in the press.
1: But it yeah, is. I mean, if, it, if this was a normal training camp, it, w- it wouldn't be in the press. And I think everyone's itching for stories right now. And you're hearing about, you know, Tom Brady looks phenomenal in Tampa Bay and I'm sure he's <laughs> playing well. But does he look phenomenal? Does he look better than he did when he played for the Patriots and in, in his prime? I mean, they're, they're just grasping at straws right now for stories. It's definitely going to be interesting. But the season starts soon, doesn't it? We got like two, three weeks before yes, we have a first yes. game.
2: And another thing, these young kids aren't really ready to answer questions about a new coach and, and, and his weight and his style of coaching. Like, it's so new. You know what I mean? They can only be in practice for 90 minutes. So if he wants to make a point, that's fine. But then you get like Saquon Barkley on the local news channel, you know, having to comment about the running and stuff like that. By the way, he can't say anything negative. So it's it's a stupid question. I I I I agree with you. They shouldn't they shouldn't be even covering this, but they are. So you're not going to get great answers from stupid questions, and they're never going to sell out their coach, especially what Adams just did, you know, oh. selling out his coach, his GM, and his owner. You
1: know what I mean? So, bag. Speaking of stupid things, speaking of young kids, watching what's going on on these college campuses right now. Ugh. Oh. You went to Clemson. (laughs) Yeah. You went to Clemson, big party school. I went to Arizona State, big party school. These kids are in college. They're going to go to parties. There is going to be outbreaks of COVID if you're going to have students on campus. We could sit here and preach at our old age now and tell these kids to be smart and wear a mask. But you remember when you were 19, 20 years old, you thought you were invincible.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I remember going to Mardi Gras. And you just didn't care that you were stepping in puddles of urine. And it it was an eye opener uh, when I was thinking about it recently on how you treated your body. And they're going to do the same thing during a pandemic because it's a frat party. You're going to college. you, you, You guys, we had great weather in college. So we're outside, uh, swimming in lakes and pools. I mean, we had it different than a lot of colleges. And our colleges were probably not listening to, to these rules either with masks and, and and six feet away from each other. But they were, you know, sharing. Uh, they were doing keg stands, no masks, partying. Like, I mean, you remember when you first got back to campus? You've been, not only have you been in this pandemic, you've been in your parents' house, okay, for three months. Me and you, since we live close to each other, we would have been breaking the rule at home. Think about all the kids who didn't weren't allowed to leave their house, and all of a sudden, they're walking onto, you know, the Alabama campus getting ready for football season, and there's a frat party. You don't think a few thousand kids want to let off some steam? It's not like they had a job all summer. They were the the freaking house, almost in lockdown. So I almost want to multiply it a couple times of how you're going to come out of the gate when you first get on campus. You will take it to another level. And and that's why, to me, college sports
1: has the biggest challenge ahead of them with the COVID situation. And that's why I'm not saying I agree with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for canceling the season or pushing it to the spring, But look at what's happened at two or three campuses already. And you're going to throw – these kids are going to be going to classes, whether it's – you know some are virtual, but some are in person. The players are going to be going to some parties as much as you want to control it and say they're not. They're going to be in a bubble. It it is – they have a huge challenge in front of them as to how they're going to figure this out. So I can't wait. They still haven't announced who's playing and who's not, right? There's still some conferences that plan on going on.
2: Yeah, if I understand correctly? Yes. Um the Big 12, the SEC and the ACC are part of the Big 5 that are playing football. Pac 12, Big 10 are out. I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I think there was maybe a little too a little premature decision on that, especially when the coaches were really looking forward to the season. But you bring it back to the first college that said we're shutting down everything, students and sports, and that's the Ivy League. And once again, they, they come out on top as being uh, the smartest in the country for a reason. And the ACC, with this happening in Chapel Hill, first of all, the ACC probably depends on the money and the SEC more than the other conferences, okay? Even though they're big five, they're the smallest, the two Southern schools. And the billions of dollars that comes into play might over overtake a decision that really isn't about safety, unfortunately. But the last thing I'll say about that is that if you have kids going to parties and get 130 cases after one day, how can you really expect to throw them in a stadium after partying before the game, during the game, after the game? It's just, it's going to be really difficult. That's a,
1: that's a great point. And it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out in the weeks ahead. We appreciate everybody joining the show. Thanks for listening to the Bags and Plat podcast. We'll be back out of here in a few days. And I will talk to you soon, Bags.
2: Sounds good.